Welcome to the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. I'm CEO Dan Mariashen. Thank you for tuning in today. A little bit of housekeeping before we get started. Be sure to visit our website, b'nai like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. The easiest way to get the latest episode is to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play on your smartphone. I'm joined today by Stephanie Halpern, the Assistant Director of the Archives at the YIVO Institute for Jewish Research in New York. Stephanie received her Ph.D. in Jewish Literature from the Jewish Theological Seminary in New York, where she focused on Yiddish theater in America. Today, Stephanie will be discussing the history of the Yiddish theater, as well as her work as the Assistant Curator of the highly successful exhibition New York's Yiddish Theater from the Bowery to Broadway, which was shown at the Museum of the City of New York in 2016. Finally, Stephanie will tell us about the upcoming debut of YIVO's exciting new online class called Oh Mama, I'm in Love, The Story of the Yiddish Stage. Stephanie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. Well, a good place to start would be um, how did you get interested in this subject and the odyssey that you've taken uh, really has uh, put you front and center in uh, research uh, about uh, a part of American Jewish history, American Jewish immigrant history, that uh, is extremely important and interesting to us. Yeah. So, uh, you know, really, my, um, you know, I grew up in Philadelphia. Um, my grandparents were Orthodox. They spoke Yiddish, um, but they never spoke Yiddish, uh, you know, in front of in front of the kids. Um, but I was sort of always immersed in this um, very Jewish culture. Um, and I, uh, at the same time, went to Philadelphia Public School. So I like sort of towed this line between um, secular and religious my whole life. Um, went to college at Columbia University and the Jewish Theological Seminary, again, sort of this religious secular uh, mix. Um, and this is really when I, you know, became interested in the way that, you know, Jewish culture, uh, religious, um, and, uh, you know, cultural things in, 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 in Jewishness, uh, sort of intersected with, um, America and American popular culture. Um, I was lucky enough in graduate school to, um, meet Edna Nachshon, uh, who was the, you know, head curator on... Uh, the MCNY exhibition. Um, she sort of took me under her wing, uh, started bringing me on research trips, um, including me, you know, in the uh, in curating this exhibition. And that's sort of when I got my hands dirty and um, realized that the way uh, to sort of satisfy my curiosity between um, Jewish culture and and American culture was really in looking at the development of the of the Yiddish theater in America because it was so much ingrained um, in American popular culture at the time. And that's sort of how I got here. Well, let's start from the beginning. How and when did the Yiddish theater evolve? What were its sources? Who were its major contributors? Sure. So um, it's generally agreed that uh, the uh, that Jewish theatrical practice really finds its roots in um, some European folk customs that were really linked to Jewish ritual. The first, um, and it's you know still goes on today, the Purim Spiel, which is you know the the play that is performed on Purim, um, and and that was really the one time during the Jewish calendar year that 
that it was acceptable to you know to dress up and and it, and and where performance was allowed. Um, and the second was the the Bachen or the wedding jester. Um, uh, you know, the 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 Bachen would sing um, verses often based in you know biblical texts at the wedding. Uh, and so these are sort of two of the the precursors to what we consider um, the modern, you know, the modern Yiddish stage. And then there was um, also a more secular form of of Jewish um, entertainment uh, from the the Broder Zinger. Um, they were sort of these cafe chantant performers, you know, the the itinerant singers who would go around, um, you know, the Ukraine uh, performing. Um, you know, sometimes body music, you know, for the general public. Um, and so these, these, uh, these performance elements sort of then merged into a written uh, type of drama uh, during the Haskalah or the, the Jewish Enlightenment. Um, and, and this was the first time that, that drama was written down um, in Yiddish. Um, but they were never, these plays were never meant to be performed. Uh, and this is about 1796, you know, to the 1850s and 60s. Um, they were never meant to be performed. They were just called, you know, closet or parlor dramas. They were these didactic texts, um, usually written by Maskilim or, you know, um, these adherents of the, of the Haskalah. Um, and a lot of times they sort of expose the hypocrisy, you know, of, um, of, uh, Traditional or, or, or orthodoxy, you know, Hasidic, um, Hasidic life. Um, so really, the first person um, in 1876 to meld these two elements—the dramatic text and um, and the these folk performance and musical traditions—was Abraham Goldfaden, who uh, you know would become known as the father of the Yiddish theater, uh, and he. Um, the first, his first operetta um, uh, is performed in 1876 in uh, a wine garden uh, in, in Romania. Um, and sort of things take off um, from there in, in many directions um, globally. So it, you know, um, Yiddish theater is able to develop uh, in, in Eastern Europe until um, about 1883, uh, which is when... Um, Sorry, Alexander II uh, is assassinated, um, and you know this followed uh, uh, was followed by a lot of um, anti-Jewish uh, reaction, including a ban on any type of Yiddish performance. Uh, and, and this this ban is not lifted until 1904, and so this sort of you know stops the um, development of of Yiddish theater um, in in Russia in in Europe. Um, and uh, it, this, you know, happens sort of at the same time that that mass immigration is is starting um, in the United States. And so um, you have all of these Yiddish speakers, all of these Yiddish actors moving to the U.S. And the first performance uh, of of a Yiddish theatrical production actually takes place in the United States in um, in 1882. Uh, and again, it's a Goldfaden. Uh, production, the Kishif Macharin, or the Witch, um, and you know it's a pretty uh, modest affair. It actually stars a very, very young Boris Tomaszewski. Um, he was, uh, you know, had just you know come over to the United States, um, 
and uh, you know he would go on to become one of the greatest and most beloved beloved Yiddish uh, stars on the on the on the Yiddish stage. Um, and again, this also uh, takes place in in a very tiny place, um, uh, Turn Hall, which was which was a um, German German owned um, space uh, that fit maybe you know twenty thirty people, um, and you know, at that time in 1882, there's, you know, the, the Yiddish speaking immigrant population doesn't uh, have enough money to, to lease its own, own theater. About the audience that attended these uh, productions in New York, how important was the Yiddish theater to, to these uh, large numbers of immigrants who uh, essentially lived, uh, if not in the neighborhood, nearby? Um, it was extremely important. Uh, you know, many of these immigrants were, uh, you know, working all day in sweatshops or what have you. Um, they were, you know, far away from their uh, from their families, oftentimes, um, who were still back in Europe. Uh, they had sort of lost many of the communal centers of, of Jewish life um, that that they had in. Uh, you know, in Europe. And so the Yiddish theater sort of became the place um, where they could be with other Yiddish speakers. They could see um, a play that transported them back to the old world. Um, You know, they could see their own lives reflected on the stage. And it was often so important that people would, you know, spend uh, their week's wages on a ticket if they needed to. Um, You know, it it really was um, one of the main leisure time activities for um, for immigrants living on the Lower East Side of New and, York. And uh, what, what kind of, was there a star system for uh, for the theater? Uh, was there a kind of a pecking order of, uh, of actors and actresses, musicians? Th- there was, there was, of course, just like, you know, we have um, that, that star system today. And, and the, the Yiddish theater audiences love their stars. Oftentimes, you know, you'd, you'd have the really big stars, Boris Tomaszewski, Jacob P. Adler, um, sometimes performing the same roles um, at theaters across the street from one another. And um, you, you would have audience members who were sort of staunchly devoted to their star, um, uh, you know, throwing things at the audience members who were going to, to see uh, their, you know, favorite star um, in a play. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, the, the Yiddish theater was a commercial institution, you know, so... Um, uh, money was sort of fueled everything, um, and so you you paid money to see the star on stage um, that you loved. Uh, and you know this was true for for many theaters. Um, there was a very vibrant art theater community headed by um, uh, most prominently Maurice Schwartz, uh, Maurice Schwartz's Yiddish Art Theater, um, and that was uh, sort of supposed to be. Um, more of a true art theater system, you know, things were done in repertory and no one person had a starring role in every play, though Maurice Schwartz himself, um, you know, he was a great actor, a great manager, a great producer, um, and he really knew it and he loved to be on the stage. So uh, Schwartz often performed himself um, as this, you know, in the in the starring role in, in many of his plays, sort of going against um, his own ideas of uh, what, what an art theater should be. It's interesting. My, my father, who was an immigrant, uh, lived in Brooklyn, but um, the, only, the only name he mentioned, actually, 
uh, among the actors was Maurice Schwartz, and he said that he had mm-hmm. seen him on stage. Um, uh, where did they perform? Now, Second Avenue was called the the Yiddish Rialto. Um, was Second Avenue the the original site for these theaters, or were you mentioned the this German Hall? When did when did Second Avenue become established as um, as as uh, a Yiddish Broadway? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so the answer, uh, the short answer is no. Uh, it you know the performances didn't begin there. Um, it was really uh, in the Bowery that that Yiddish um, that the Yiddish theater began. Um, and, you know, it sort of slowly followed its audience members up um, as they made more money. You know, they moved um, up or up, uh, uptown in Manhattan. So it starts in the Bowery and the first um, in, in mainly borrowed spaces, right? Until you have a big enough audience and enough money, um, you, you can't have a theater house uh, built for Yiddish performances. But the first one is um, is built in 1903, the Grand Street Theater, um, at the corner of Christie and Grand Street in the in the Lower East Side. And this was an enormous house. It you know, it could seat about 2,000 people. Um, and and you know, just in 1903, right? So uh, about 20 years after the first um, production, Yiddish theatrical production in New York, you have a house, you know, that's that's built specifically for Yiddish uh, plays. Um, and then, um, you know, several other theaters are built um, in that area. And as the population moves up towards Second Avenue, that's when, um, when you know, other flagship theaters um, are built there. And so Maurice Schwartz's was um, one of the last built in 1926 on the corner of Second Avenue and 12th Street. Um, and uh, you know it's this beautiful building uh, built in a Moorish style. There's this mosaic uh, ceiling um, with a, a Jewish star, you know, done. Um, and it's actually the only Yiddish theater house uh, that still is standing. Um, it's no longer obviously showing Yiddish productions, but it is um, it is a movie theater. And if um, you know you're lucky and you get the right seat, you can still see the this beautiful um, ceiling. In there, how did how did these productions uh, uh, stack up uh, compare to what was going on on Broadway, uh, particularly uh, not as late as 1926, because at that point already Broadway had become very sophisticated in, in terms of its own productions. Um, but right. what about the the Yiddish uh, plays, the musicals? How did they stack up? Yeah, so um, you know the Yiddish theater, I, I think. Uh, many people think that the Yiddish theater was just, you know, comedies and melodramas and, and that kind of thing. And it was um, uh, just like Broadway, right? So the, the Yiddish intellectual elite were complaining that, you know, um, the Yiddish audiences were only watching shunned plays or trash. Um, and it's interesting because the American theater practitioners at the same time, you know, the 1890s, 1910s, up until the 20s, were complaining about the exact same thing. That the American theater-going public um, were just going to see, you know, to see fun musicals. They weren't. They were just going for entertainment, not not to learn anything. Um, and so, you know, uh, the Yiddish theater and the American theater sort of run parallel to one another um, in this respect. They're, you know, these melodramas, these operettas. They're all very lavish. They, you know, transport audiences uh, through costume and set design to. You know, worlds that that uh, 
they could not even imagine visiting. Um, and, uh, you know, so you have that, 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 that aspect of these theaters. And then you also have sort of the, um, the, the playwrights who want to reform the stage, um, who want to, you know, create more realistic dramas, um, more literary dramas. And, and again, this is happening both in the Yiddish theater and in the, you know, American English language theater at the same time. Um, and in, in, you know, one of the, one of the great Yiddish reformers, uh, Jacob Gordon, um, writes these realistic plays that are actually, um, taken up by the American, um, theater practitioners, um, as plays that, uh, you know, they're used as a model for, for what Broadway should do. The first Yiddish play that is um, translated and produced um, on the American stage is a Jacob Gordon play, 1906. Uh, it's called the Kreutzer Sonata. Um, you know, and it, it sort of was looked at by um, American critics and audiences as being, um, you know, this this uh, example of what, um, of what plays can be written um, in America, and they really looked at Gordon um, as sort of as an American playwright who just happened to be writing in in another language, and that's really um, you know the most interesting thing to me about about the the sort of parallel development um, of these two stages. And then you mentioned um, you know the 1920s after sort of Eugene O'Neill comes on um, you know uh, on the scene, American theater takes a different turn, but um, but the American theater practitioners are still looking to the to the Yiddish stage in many respects um, for acting techniques, avant-garde acting techniques, um, you know, set set design, um, because they're not they're not quite um, there. They they sort of want to be in line with all of these um, modernist and avant-garde techniques that are happening in in Russia, especially. Um, and one of the ways that they're able to do so is is to look towards. Um, Yiddish designers uh, and actors in the 1920s and 30s um, as a way to do that. Yeah, I want to talk about that. Uh, crossover actors and crossover uh, uh, set designers. Um, mm -hmm. Now we're getting into the next generation, um, assimilation, moving into the 1930s, I suppose, uh, you know, as, as we bring this uh, up to World War II and, of course, the terrible devastation that was uh, set upon uh, Yiddish speakers in Europe, and, mm -hmm. the, and the at the same time assimilation back here at home. Um, tell us about some of those those crossover artists who uh, wound up uh, performing on the the broader American stage and in motion pictures. Sure. Well, I'll have to start at the beginning, really, with um, an amazing actress uh, named Bertha Kalish. Uh, um, you know, she was this, this great beauty. Um, and, and, a, and a great actor. And she is um, discovered in 1905 uh, by American producers. You know, she's, she's acting in, in, in Yiddish. And it, I, I would like to mention, you know, that uh, uh, there were a ton of non-Yiddish-speaking um, audience members at Yiddish Productions, um, which is something that, uh, you know, people sort of... Um, uh, we are not aware of. Um, so there are these, you know, American producers at, at one of Bertha Kalish's shows in 1905. They discover her and they say, "You must be on the American stage." Um, and you know, they work with her for about eight or nine months to help to help her um, 
learn how to speak English without an accent. And then they put her on the stage and she becomes, you know, um, a sensation. And she has a, a, you know, a career on, on the American stage until, you know, um, until about the 1920s. Um, so she's really the first, the first one to sort of pave the way for this. And then of course you have, um, actors like Molly Pecan, who maybe is, uh, you know, is one of the most well-known um, Yiddish actors ever, even even to this day. Um, and she, interestingly, uh, she's actually born in in America, in Philadelphia. She doesn't really know Yiddish. Um, she is a child actor on the American stage, uh, and she she um, you know starts performing in Yiddish when she meets uh, Jacob Kalish, her. Uh, her soon-to-be husband, um, who's a manager um, of Yiddish theaters, and he says, you know, I really think that you have a career on the Yiddish stage if only you knew Yiddish. Um, So he takes her on this uh, European tour um, in the early 1920s, and he bills her as this, you know, um, as this great uh, this great Yiddish star Molly Pecan making, you know, making a tour through Europe. Um, And then when she comes back to America, uh, he puts in all the papers, Molly Pecan, the great, you know, Yiddish European star. And so he sort of uh, fools everyone into thinking that that Molly Pecan is an actress from um, from the old world. Uh, and of course, you know, she goes on to perform in hundreds and hundreds of Yiddish plays. And then she also transitions to Broadway. Um, her first uh, Broadway debut is, is her Broadway debut is in 1940 in um, Sylvia Reagan's Morning Star. Um, and, you know, it's interesting in, in Yiddish, Molly Pecan played this, you know, like an impish urchin, you know, she's always a childlike character who's, um, getting into some kind of trouble and, you know, she, um, is, is, is able to get out of it with charm and, and, and being very adorable. Um, and on the, on the Broadway stage, she, um, she plays mainly, uh, old, you know, Jewish mothers. So she sort of um, appeals to two types of um, two types of audience members: those who want to remember their, um, you know, their 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 past, real or imagined, whatever this you know sense of nostalgia um, for the old world when she performs in Yiddish, and then sort of um, a reflection either of themselves or you know their their grandmothers or or, or their mothers, um, you know, when she performs in, in English. Um, if I recall correctly, uh, she uh, played Yenta in Fiddler on the Roof, the film version, and Jacob Kalish was, uh, I think, played a, a school teacher in in the film. Is that is that yeah. correct? Yeah, I, I'm not sure um, about Kel- uh, Jacob Kalish's role, but but you're correct on on Molly's role. Um, you know, and 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 Fiddler on the Roof is, you know, probably, uh, you know, it's the most well known representation of. Um, Jewish life in Eastern Europe, you know, for that there is. Um, and speaking of that, uh, another um, crossover um, from from Yiddish to Broadway was Boris Aronson. Um, he is the set designer, the original set designer for the um, Broadway production of Fiddler on the Roof. And what's so neat about that um, that production is that you can actually see some of his designs. Um, mirrored in the original designs that he had done for um, for the Yiddish theater in, in America. He comes to America in 1925 or, or thereabouts, 
and he starts designing for the art theaters. Um, and he designs many productions for Maurice Schwartz's Yiddish Art Theater. And um, I don't know if you, you know, Tevye's house, um, the way it sort of opens up and everything takes place, you know, inside of it, um, that uh, that uh, was was sort of a carryover from um, a play that he did called Dotsentagabot, the the Tenth Commandment, um, where you know uh, the evil angel and the good angel are trying to uh, they they have a bet about if they can make a couple break the Tenth Commandment. But in any case, he designs um, a house that that opens up, um, and this is in 1926. Um, that opens up and uh, everything takes place inside of it. And this is the first time that that type of um, design element had been seen uh, in America at all. Um, and and so it's neat to see how, you know, the path that it's taken, that it, that it took, you know, to, to sort of reappear again on Broadway 40 years later. What kind of, uh, what impact did the, the assimilation and the Holocaust uh, have on the the later um, uh, part of the history of the Yiddish theater. Yeah, well, I think you know you start to really see a decline um, in in Yiddish audiences in in the late twenties, early thirties, um, right? The uh, immigration quotas that are enacted in nineteen twenty four certainly, you know, really staunch the flow of of Yiddish speakers to America. And by this time, you have um, second and third generation American Jews and and performers, you know, um, and writers who uh, no not longer need to go to the Yiddish theater, right? Why why go to the Yiddish theater if you can see something um, in Broadway in in English? Um, so you know that certainly um, ha- had had a lot to do with um, the closing down of of Yiddish theaters. Um, and then obviously, you know, the, the, the death of the six million Yiddish speaking, you know, Jews who could have um, potentially uh, increased audiences, you know, there's, it, it's obvious, uh, you know, what happened there. Um, can, can you bring, bring it to today? Occasionally, uh, we'll see in the New York papers, uh, there'll be an announcement about, uh, a, a Yiddish musical, a retrospective. Um, what what is the status today? Because obviously there are still productions. Um, so what what's out there if somebody wanted to go today uh, to see Yiddish theater? Sure. I mean the Volksbühne um, is still in existence. Uh, you know it it um, I think it's just celebrated its hundredth year, um, and they do a few productions every year um and and like you mentioned there's every so often um you know a yiddish production that pops up um uh there death of a salesman in yiddish and uh waiting for godot in yiddish and and um uh, you know so there are um there are moments where you can see um you know a a production that is that is done in yiddish with people who um some of whom still speak Yiddish and, and many who do not. You know, everything is now um, done in, uh, with supertitles, um, so you can follow what's going on. But it's interesting that um, many uh, contemporary American playwrights have sort of started to dialogue uh, with, with the Yiddish stage. Um, most recently, um, Paula Vogel 
her play Indecent was just put on Broadway, and that you know is in conversation with um, Sholem Ash's Gutfunukoma, God, uh, God of Vengeance. Um, you know, and and um, you have playwrights like Tony Kushner, um, um, Patty Shayevsky, uh, working with uh, Ansky's um, uh, The Dybbuk, um, and you know, even as far back as um, as as the the mid '40s, um, when Yiddish theater is still around, you had um, you had playwrights sort of already mourning the loss of this, of an institution. Um, High Craft wrote a play uh, called um, Cafe Crown, and it's a you know it, it was on Broadway, and it's all about um, the Cafe Royale, which was sort of a um, it was a cafe that all of the great Yiddish theater stars hung out in. Um, and it's a play about, you know, um, actors on the Yiddish stage, uh, who are still alive, but it's for, it's sort of more, you know, a nostalgic piece already, um, in the 1940s. Let's, um, we'll close, uh, really with, um, a question about this, this beautiful show at the museum of the city of New York, uh, which was, a a comprehensive survey of Yiddish theater in the city. Where did you find the uh, the art and the artifacts? Any any surprises in the, the materials you found? Yeah. So this is really um, getting this exhibition ready was really where I learned the most about um, Yiddish theater because there's there's nothing like sort of really getting your hands dirty, you know, and, and getting in in there. You can read as much as you want, but until you see these objects you have no idea. Um, so there's not, uh, you know, there's many repositories of, of Yiddish theatrical, you know, objects and, and, and ephemera spread throughout the country. Um, but sort of the most comprehensive is uh, what we have here um, in the archives at the Yibo Institute for Jewish Research. And so um, I spent years basically going through um, archival boxes uh, that some people you know, that, that people basically hadn't seen uh, since they were put in there. Um, and, you know, I, I got to just sort of touch and and feel and smell the all, all of these uh, things that really transport, tra- able to transport you back to, to, to what it would have been like. Um, we found the, um, the original banner for uh, the Hebrew Actors Union um, which started in 1899, um, and it, it's a precursor to actors, actors' equity. Um, and you know, I un, I took out this felt um, banner uh, that was you know taller than I am, and um, you can smell the cigar smoke still in it um, because it had been hanging in the Hebrew Actors Union building, you know, for for so many years. That, that um, building is still standing, isn't it? The Hebrew it is, Actors Union building? It is still standing. And in fact, Near the Bowery, I believe. I was, yeah, I, it's on, um, on 7th Street. Yeah, I, I was able to, um, to actually get into the building. It's obviously no longer, it's not a, you know, the Hebrew Actors Union does not exist any longer. Um, and, uh, but the building is still there. And, um, you know, it's still filled with, uh, with amazing um, you know, artifacts uh, from from when it was being used. And you mentioned a bust of Goldfad, and um, inside that building, you know, you walk in. There's a stage, and there are, there are busts of these Yidd- of these Yiddish writers, y- Yiddish playwrights, Goldfad and being one of them. Um, you know, they they love making busts of of actors and um, and playwrights. 
And so that um, that bust from from that building, you know, um, sort of was one of the um, one of the centerpieces of of the exhibition. Well, Stephanie, really, um, I, I have to compliment you and Yivo for all of the important work uh, that you've done um, in in researching and um, in also bringing to the public um, this uh, very important part of. Uh, not only the history of the Yiddish language, but the history of uh, immigrant, uh, the immigrant Jewish community in, in our country. And um, really, we thank you for uh, joining us today and hope that um, perhaps uh, you can join us again and we can uh, continue the conversation. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. And, and let me just add, um, you know, if, if anyone is interested in, in learning more about the Yiddish theater, um, YIVO has, you know, like you mentioned before, this this new online class, Oh Mama, I'm in Love, the story of the Yiddish stage, a, a Molly Pecan lyric um, that will be starting um, on May 1st. So uh, we encourage you to sign up and, and learn some more. Okay, and the website, I assume, is uh, yivo.org? Is that? Yivo, yep, yivo.org slash Oh Mama. Okay, easy one to remember. Yes. All right, well, thanks again, and thanks, uh, everyone, for listening to our podcast. Please visit our website, benebrith.org, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, subscribe on your smartphone through the podcast app for iPhone or through Google Play for Android. And lastly, tell a friend about us. For my guest, Stephanie Halpern of YIVO, I'm Dan Mariasha. We'll talk to you next time on the Benebrith International Podcast. <laughs>